You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hey y'all, it's Mela Borowski. Thanks for joining me again as we continue chatting about Samhain and Halloween this month. It's true that a lot of the symbols of Halloween are a more dark and macabre nature, but things aren't always as they appear. So we're going to discuss some popular Samhain or Halloween symbols and how some of them can be used on your Samhain altar. So as I talked about in the last episode with a lot of the history and legends about Halloween relating to pre-Christian origins, the same is going to be true for a lot of the symbols. So let's start with the bat. The bat is connected with magic and death in a lot of different cultures. And it's been associated for a long time with the darker side of folklore and superstition, vampires, that sort of thing. And this probably has a lot to do with bats being nocturnal creatures and roosting in caves and old ruins that some may consider haunted. Bats were first linked to witches in the Middle Ages. And people believe that witches were assisted by demons who had taken the form of an animal. And one of the common animal shapes for these familiars was thought to be a bat. So you've also got bat as a spell component, um, as well as bat's blood ink, which was used in casting hexes and dark spells. They were used in brewing potions and preparing flying ointments. Spoiler alert, any bat's blood ink that you find today does not have blood in it. The recipe does not call for actual bat's blood. And that's the same for dragon's blood ink. It's not actual dragon. We haven't located a dragon for dragon's blood ink or dove's blood ink, etc. I've made these types of inks before and it has different herbs and essential oils and resins that you put in them to make the different inks and you use each one for a different purpose. But I digress just a little bit. So witches are very much a symbol of Halloween. And because of that, every single thing that's got associated with witches, whether it was actually associated with witches or or thought to be associated, became a part of Halloween, like the cauldron, the broomstick, the bat. there, There are parts of the world today where bats are still seen as evil, but there are other places that see bats as actually a good omen. In Poland and in China, the bat seen as a symbol of happiness and longevity. Australian Aborigines, they respect the bat. And many of today's pagans might say that the bat represents protection or good fortune or even rebirth. The bat's a guardian of the night. When I'd be in the pool and it would be getting dark outside, I loved when the bats would come and fly over the pool. They are really amazing creatures. 
You might find some hoodoo practitioners wearing bat bones um, in their mojo bags as a lucky charm. And there even is a tradition that says painting or engraving a symbol of a bat on bloodstone could add power to magic. Jack-o'-lanterns are very much a part of modern Halloween, and we mentioned them um, during the last episode, and then I recorded a reading of The Great Carbuncle as a bonus episode, and I hope that you've been able to listen to that and you enjoyed it. And that was the first mention of a jack-o'-lantern in a writing of that sort. So they're very often put on the front porch or on a windowsill as decoration. Carving vegetables isn't a modern invention. It's over 2,000 years old. So in Ireland, originally, they used turnips instead of pumpkins. They were hollowed out, carved with faces, and used as lanterns. They were used to scare away spirits stuck here on earth. And in, in Scotland, they'd use the thick stem of a cabbage plant, much like in Ireland, they used turnips. And faces were carved on the vegetables because it made them look like they had a head. It was believed that the head was the most sacred part of the body, as it was believed to house the soul. I was actually watching the TV show Versailles last night, and very interestingly, there was mention of the head, primarily the pineal gland, as being the place where our soul resides. So I thought that was interesting. Jack-o'-lantern can also be a term for some unexplained phosphorescent light that occurs in marshy places and swamps. In the U.S., it's sometimes called the will-o'-wisp. In England, the corpse light, foxfire in Ireland, and witchfire in Africa. Folk legend says that this mysterious light is a wandering soul that was turned away from heaven and hell and condemned to spend eternity wandering and trying to beckon humans to follow them deep into the marshes. Pretty much every state and area um, that I know of in the South and maybe other places as well have stories that center around this mysterious light, um, the the will-o'-wisp light and what that could be. Jack is also another name for the devil, especially in England. So a jack-o'-lantern could be a way of linking pagan customs to the devil, which is a popular thing to do. Um, Modern witches often use a jack-o'-lantern on their Samhain altars. And one way to use them is you could put them at each of the cardinal directions and then light them at the start of your Samhain ritual. And that would also be a beacon of light which welcomes the spirits of your deceased loved ones. Now, ghosts and skeletons as symbols during Halloween time and for um, pagans, for Samhain, it links us to the cycle of life and death. Samhain is a liminal time of year when the spirits of the dead and other supernatural entities are traveling between their world and ours in a much freer way. So death symbols are very prominent at this time of year. And there's so many festivals like the Day of the Dead. 
And so these symbols of ghosts and skeletons and um, tombstones and things like that are believed to give good luck to the living. They're not really meant to be morbid or to bring fear to people. It's more meant to celebrate the um, tradition of reincarnation that a lot of pagans actually believe in, that death is not the final passage. There's an ongoing cycle of birth, death, and rebirth that we see through the natural world, and also as a way of honoring our deceased loved ones. So these symbols honor that sacred cycle, and they can also be seen to honor the shadow aspects of gods and goddesses. So for your Samhain altar, you could have Im images of ghosts, of skeletons, to remember the sacred cycle of life and death. My own Samhain altar has skull-shaped candles. I have some colorful skull candle holders and even animal skulls and, and a, a stone tombstone. So specifically, I use a lot of these things on my Samhain ancestor altar. So let's talk about black cats. A lot of people, even today, are afraid of black cats. That's the truth, as odd as it may be to some people. There are people that refuse to adopt a black cat due to superstition. And others might think of a black cat as a magical creature. Um, my familiar, uh, my companion for many years was a black cat named Ember. And I had her until January of this year. But I also have an outdoor cat who is a black cat. His name is Anubis. I just really love black cats. I don't see them as scary or something that's bringing bad luck at all. So black cats are considered unlucky in some places and including here in America, especially if you've ever heard of a black cat crossing your path, especially if it happens near Halloween. That's really, really scary for a lot of people. And this included my grandmother and she had such strong Appalachian, Scotch-Irish superstitions um, that really stayed with her her whole life. In ancient Egypt, Bastet was worshipped in the form of a lean, short-haired black cat at times. And sometimes it was a woman with the head of a cat. She was very benevolent and cats were sacred. It um, was said that Bastet had nine incarnations, which very well could be where the nine lives of a cat comes from. And Sekhmet was another cat goddess from Egypt. You have the black cat also associated with Hecate, or sometimes she's known as Hecate. That's the Shakespearean pronunciation. And black cats are also associated with the Norse goddess Freya. In the Middle Ages, and here we go again, the black cat became a symbol of the devil and of the devil's disciples. And so this was also believed, um, at, at the time it was believed that the bat, the black cat was the form of a witch's familiar. So you've got the black cat being the witch's familiar, just like the, the, the black bat was. Um, during the time known as the burning times, many black cats were also put to death alongside their mistresses and masters. And you don't hear a lot about that but the black cats, the familiars that they thought um, were there with the witches were actually burned or killed alongside the, the, their owners. And this was all done in the name of God and the church. 
So the cauldron is another symbol I want to talk about. Very often the Halloween witch is shown stirring her big cauldron over a fire. You can find all sorts of plastic replicas. Um, I saw them recently in the Dollar Tree. It's way more than just a bowl to hold, hold candy. The cauldron is really a powerful and important symbol that's evocative, really, of magic. It combines air, fire, water, and earth together, and the shape represents Mother Nature. The three legs can correspond to the three aspects of the goddess, uh, Maiden Mother Crone, and three is really just an important number. And the cauldron is also a symbol of transformation, enlightenment, wisdom, the womb of the mother goddess, and, and rebirth. And since medieval times, and maybe even before that, cauldrons have been used for boiling water, for cooking food, crafting magical brews, whipping up poisons, healing potions. Alchemists and witches would use them for divination, as containers for their sacred fire, and just holy vessels. So for your altar, you could use a small cauldron for burning incense. You could have a large cauldron on the side of your altar. You could have a large cauldron out in front of your house. Um, in 14th century Ireland, there was a witch whose first name was Alice, and she was said to have used the enchanted skull of a beheaded thief as her cauldron. I don't think I'd want to mess with her. She was actually the first person tried for witchcraft in Ireland. In the 14th century as well, a male witch by the name of William Lord Solis was convicted as a witch in Scotland, and he was boiled alive in a huge cauldron. There is lore that tells us of cauldrons that never run out of food. There are goddesses associated with cauldrons. Perhaps the most famous is Caridwen, and her cauldron holds the gifts of wisdom and of inspiration. And you've also got gods associated with cauldrons, like Odin, who drank from a cauldron to gain his shape-shifting powers. In the book called Halloween by Silver Raven Wolf, she has a recipe for a Samhain protection powder. Now I've changed this just a little bit, but the original does come from this book. I think this would be a wonderful thing to make on this October 2020 Samhain, because she does mention that the powder is best made on a Saturday during the full moon. And Samhain is on a Saturday and there is a full moon. So that's pretty amazing. So here are the ingredients along with my additions. And you can choose as many of these as you like to put in it. Chili powder, black pepper, angelica, rosemary, basil, pumpkin spice, cloves, and powdered eggshell. So you can even add orris root as a preservative. And as you are using your mortar and pestle or somehow grinding this up, you could hum the word protection to set your intention into this powder. 
protection 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 you can use this powder throughout the year for protection you can use it on candles you can sprinkle it in the corners of rooms or outside or anywhere that you would use a magical powder. In the Middle Ages, many believe that the owl with its creepy stare and haunting hoot had to be connected with witchcraft. And they believe that on Halloween night, demons in the forms of owls traveled with the witches and their cats on their broomsticks. That sounds like fun. Seem sign me up. My dad wrote the song that you hear at the beginning. And part of that song is, so me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. And some owls were known as night hags, which again is associated with witches with being the form of a familiar for witches. So knowing this information, it's it's kind of understandable that the, even the sound of an owl was feared by people because of the associations. Ancient Romans believed that owls were bad omens. And even today, many think that if they hear the sound of an owl, that it's an omen of, of disaster or even impending death. There's a story that I tell on my ghost tours that includes a Gullah woman and her superstition of hearing the sound of an owl as an omen of an impending death. Now the Greeks though thought owls were sacred and they were companions of the goddess Athena and they were known as wise old birds and they were associated with the Roman goddess Minerva um, and many other even gods and goddesses. And then in Native American um, belief, the owl was thought to be a messenger from the dead. And there are some traditional colors of Halloween. So let's talk about colors. Let's talk about black and orange. We see that all the time. So Halloween is, as we spoke, traditionally associated with the dead. Black has been the color associated with death in many cultures for a very long time. So it kind of makes sense with that. Black can also be seen to symbolize the devil and evil and magic. So unfortunately, these things became associated with Halloween since the spread of Christianity and the church's decision to villainize paganism. Witches' familiars, which we have talked about, appear as a black cat, not a white cat, a black cat, a black dog, a black bat, a black bird. And witches are often seen portrayed in black clothing. And I wear a lot of black. And I see that black has been embraced by a lot of people, but not because of its dark association, um, but because black is just a wonderful color of absorbing and neutralizing negative energy vibrations. That's why I also tuck black 
gemstones in my bra and in my purse and in my pocket um, to protect me. Sometimes it's just a black clothing day for me. There's nothing evil or, or um, villainous about it. If I fear that the energy is going to be too much for me, if I can just feel it, I mean, I, I am an empath. Sometimes I just want to wear black. I think it's a great color for your Samhain altar. Um, as it's a really good symbol of the underworld, it's a symbol of protection. And then we get to orange. Orange is associated with agriculture and harvest. And remember that Samhain and Halloween began as a harvest festival. We can't forget that. Orange is the color of pumpkins and autumn leaves. And it's also a color associated with um, deities at harvest time. It's the color of the glowing embers in our fires and the flames of the Samhain bonfires that once were lit up all in the night. So together, black and orange really do create a powerful symbol that has legend behind it and lore and magic. It's the essence of Halloween and is a beautiful choice for your altars. You could do black and or orange candles. Your black candles are going to be great for protection. They can also represent yang, kind of the masculine energy um, or the wisdom of the goddess and the crone aspects, the darker aspects, the kaliak. Um, and the crone aspect of the goddess is an important symbol in and of itself for Samhain. Orange candles can help your health, can bring luck, can assist with courage and concentration. They're also helpful in getting your psychic messages and your divination. So perfect colors for Samhain. The spider, that's a symbol you see a lot for Halloween. And again, this symbol is associated with Halloween because it became associated with witches. So in some cultures, the spider female's habit of devouring her mate linked her with the crone aspect. There is a Greek mythology where a spider spun a web of fate or where Arachne was turned into a spider because of jealousy of her weaving talents. In Hinduism, the spider is linked with the goddess Maya. And then you've got superstition telling us that the spider carries evil vibrations. But most modern pagans and even people outside of paganism would see spiders as actually a bringer of good luck, a bringer of wealth. When I use spiders in my divination, when I see a spider or a spider web, that talks to me about networking and um, your family and your community. Finding a small spider in your home is often seen as a lucky omen. I look at Grandmother Spider and her web as really a symbol of a very basic belief that I have and many pagans have, and that's the interconnectedness of the universe. Everything is connected. As above, so below. As below, so above. So let's talk about the besom or the witch's broomstick. Um, the besom is another name for broomstick, and that is associated with witches. Not so much for the idea that they flew on an enchanted broomstick, although that idea did take root, but even further back, 
broomsticks had a role in hand fastings and birth ceremonies in ancient times and um, mythology. Kate possessed a broomstick that signified sexual union. If someone wanted to be pregnant, jumped over it three times, said that she would become pregnant. It's even believed that this myth um, was the uh, way that the old pagan wedding custom of jumping the broom came about. So jumping the broom is a way of uh, a fertility rite for a wedding or a hand fasting. Now it was believed in the Middle Ages, and here we get Middle Ages again, that witches used the brooms as a means of travel. And this was done through a special flying ointment we've mentioned before using bats. But here's another spoiler alert for you and a warning. Flying ointment is a hallucinogenic. So the witch isn't actually flying on the broom, at least that is my belief. It was a spiritual journey that was made possible through the hallucinogenic ingredients in the ointment. Now, there are safe recipes for flying ointments in books and online, and I suggest those safe ones if you want to try it. That would merely allow you to travel, astral travel, really. Um, I would not recommend finding the ingredients and trying to put together an ancient flying ointment um, with the poisons and the different things that are used in that. I've actually read stories of people trying to replicate the old flying ointment, which does, as I said, have poisons like belladonna. And it has actually created some emergency situations where people have almost died because they don't have the ability to make this in a safe way with the um, where it's not going to be actually poisonous and the tiniest bit that you get on your hand while you're making it could even kill you. So I do not recommend trying to replicate the old uh, witch's flying ointments. Get something safer that's more for astral travel. But the idea that I wanted to talk about is it's not so much the witch flying on the broom across the moon, like is even in my intro song. It was more a spiritual or astral kind of uh, um, travel where they're using a hallucinogenic. But the broom is super important today. It's a symbol that you can use to sweep away negativity, bad luck, anything evil. Um, it can you use to sweep away the old stuff in your life that you need to get rid of to make room for growth. So the broom or the besom is a great symbol for Halloween's really true and original meaning of, of a harvest festival. So you could have a besom, a very small besom or broom on your altar, and then it can actually be used to do magical housekeeping, which is just a fancy way of saying you're dusting and tidying up your altar and the area around it. So the moon, the image of a full moon on Halloween, you see it all the time, it just doesn't happen all the time, or even a crescent moon, is a symbol of Halloween. And it's well known that the moon plays just a major role in so many cultures and faiths around the world. You can see it in, 
in folklore, in superstition, in divination, in your myths. And this October 2020's Samhain is so special because we are actually having a full moon, our second full moon of the month on Samhain in October. So it is super special. So we've done other episodes on using moon magic. Um, and it is a, it's still a symbol that many witches and pagans use all year round. And you could easily incorporate that into your altar at all times of the year. But especially, I think it's important for this Samhain, since we've got our rare full blue moon. Let's quickly talk about the devil. You've heard me mention the devil many times. We've seen the costumes of the devil. The devil is defined by Judeo-Christian religions. It was not actually a part of, of pagan beliefs that I'm familiar with. And the devil didn't have a role in ancient Samhain or in divination. So why do we have it so associated with Halloween? I bet you can tell me from our discussion already. Christianity villainized witches. And one way that they did that is to associate witches with the devil, with evil. That was something that the Christian church made popular and and put out um, propaganda, really, to make make witches seem evil and um, one with the devil and married to the devil and all these things like that. And so it is part of Halloween as a symbol, again, because it was at some point associated with witches. Wrongly so, but the power of the church is overwhelming in many cases. The idea of the devil is certainly a Christian idea, but the idea of, let's say, an evil God that opposes um, a, a good God, that, that could be seen as an ancient concept. But the devil, as we see, um, and as we see associated with Halloween and with witches, that is simply not true. called A Witch's Halloween, A Complete Guide to the Magic, Incantations, Recipes, Spells, and Lore by Jarena Dunwich. And in this, she talks about Halloween moon omens. And I thought this was, this was a great thing for this coming Samhain because she says, and I'm going to read this paragraph, a full moon on Halloween night ensures that the powers of all forms of magic and divination practiced on this night will be at their greatest. A secret wish made at midnight will be realized within the coming year, and do not be surprised if an experience of a psychic nature awaits you in the very near future. So I think that on Saturday, October 31st, Samhain, celebrated as Halloween by many people, midnight, you make your wish because we've got a full moon and that powerful energy and you could even call a wish an intention. So you set an intention and it is considered the witch's new year. So you're basically setting a resolution for the witch's new year 
at midnight. So I think that's really interesting. And it's even more powerful. That energy is so powerful because we have that full moon on Samhain 2020. that you've gotten a lot of good ideas for your Samhain altar as well as maybe learning something that you didn't already know about the symbols and the associations of Halloween with uh, a lot of, of ancient celebrations and, and a lot of um, mistruths really of why they're actually associated with Halloween and maybe some ideas of how to kind of reclaim some of those symbols into your Samhain celebration. So here's just a few more ideas for your Samhain celebrations or your Samhain altar. So for colors, we've talked about orange and black, but what about purple or burgundy or gold? You can think about harvest. So any of the colors that you'd associate with harvest would be great for it. You could put photos or mementos of your deceased loved ones. Um, I have some cufflinks that my uncle who is deceased wore. Um, I also have some cloth that belonged to my grandmother. You could do anything like that. You could even have some offerings for your ancestors, like their favorite food or drink. If there's a favorite candy that they had, maybe they smoked a certain type of cigar or tobacco. You could put out a little bit of cake or something sweet, flowers, fresh water, or maybe something you've made for them if you're crafty. You could also do harvest symbols or items like pumpkins and, and gourds and apples, root veggies. Whatever's being harvested in your part of the world is perfect for a Samhain altar. Dried leaves, things that you gather out in your yard or on your walks, mums, marigolds, acorns, dried corn, pomegranates, ale, like a dark ale would be perfect, wheat bread, all that would be great. These are just ideas. I'm not telling you what you have to have on there. These are just ideas. And we talked about this being a very liminal time, a time when the veil is very thin. It's a great time for divination. So you could have on your altar things that you use for divination, like oracle or tarot cards, scrying mirrors, runes, a crystal ball, your pendulum, and things like that. And crystals, uh, things that are for protection, things that are the same color um, that you're using on your altar, uh, anything associated with Samhain. And I also like natural items. So you could have animal skulls that could be fake or they're real if ethically collected. You could have horns, feathers, stones, Anything associated with death, I have a candle in the shape of a skull, I think I mentioned. A fake skeleton, I have a stone tombstone that I put on my Samhain ancestor altar. I would really love to see your Samhain altar when you complete it. So if you take a picture and you send it to me, I'd love to see it. Or you could go to my Facebook page at Bell Book and Candle, B-E-L-L-E, and you could post it there to my page. I'd love for you to do that as well. If you have anything different that you want to talk about for a Samhain altar, any suggestions for altar items for Samhain, just send me a voice message and I might even use it on our next episode. Thank you so much for being here with me as we're talking more about Samhain and the history and origins 
the legend and lore of Halloween. I can't wait to talk about this again. And y'all be blessed. The Secret Wish Mirror Spell from A Witch's Halloween by Jarena Dunwich. So this is apparently a spell dating back to antiquity and maybe a Samhain tradition among many witches. So you'll need a mirror, a candle that you've never lit, and a wish or an intention of some sort. So after the sun sets on Samhain night, light your candle. You can put some ritual oil on your candle if you like. Turn off all the lights in the room and stand in front of your mirror, holding your lit candle in the hand that you normally use for writing. This would be your power hand. Just look into your own eyes, gaze into the mirror, Clear your mind of all thoughts except for anything to do with your wish or your intention that you are setting. Just visualize your intention or your wish coming true as you whisper your intention out loud. Once you have spoken your words, place your lips upon the mirror to seal your spell with a kiss. The secret wish mirror spell is now complete, but do not tell anyone your wish or your intention, or it will not manifest. Hey y'all, for many years now, I've been leading ghost tours in the Columbia, South Carolina area. Um, at a local museum. But because of COVID-19 and um, the pandemic, I'm not going to be able to do that this year. And it is absolutely heartbreaking because it's one of the highlights of my year. So I've decided that on my Facebook page for Bell Book and Candle, that once a week, starting on October 1st, every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to be going on live and telling Southern ghost stories. So if that's of interest to you, please join me there on my Facebook page, Bell Book and Candle. And I'm going to be telling not only stories from South Carolina, which is what I usually focus on, but I'm going to branch out a little bit to other Southern states. I'm also going to tell some stories that were passed down um, from my grandmother and from my mother and other people and actually some stories about things that have happened to me regarding supernatural things, um, ghosties and, and negative energies and things like that. So it's going to be a creepy, exciting time and I really hope that you'll join me Thursdays in October starting October 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern. Y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.